welcome to the final sermon in our series on the Alphabet Psalm, Psalm 119. My name is Dan Forrest, and Jonathan Chan and I have had a great time going through this psalm with you. Every eight verses of Psalm 119 starts with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and in this video we will be looking at the final 16 verses, starting with the letters Shin and Tav. Well, before we begin, let's start our video as we always do with a short video clip. Lisa, I'm Faith Crowley, patriotism editor of Reading Digest. Oh, I love your magazine. My favorite section is how to increase your word power. That thing is really, really, really good. Well, good. <laughs> well, this episode of The Simpsons pokes fun at Reader's Digest a magazine that was always lying around my house growing up. And along with Homer Simpson, one of my favorite sections in Reader's Digest was called Word Power, which would test your knowledge of often obscure words. I want to help you increase your word power, so let's do a test of four words that are found throughout Psalm 119, and we're going to see how well you do. All right, here are the words. The first word is precept. It is a noun. And it can either mean director or executive, B, instruction from an authority, or C, muscle of the lower arm. What do you think it is? Let's move on to number two, supplication, another noun. A, does it mean earnest request? B, applied gently, or C, replacement. What does supplication mean? The third word is a Hebrew word. It is shalom. It is a noun. Does it mean A, absence of conflict? B, zigzag skiing, or C, wholeness, wellness, prosperity. And finally, we have another Hebrew word, chesed. It is a noun, and does it mean A, loving kindness, B, mercy, or C, faithful love? I'll give you a second to consider this. Don't cheat. Let's see how well you do. All right, let's go to the first one, precept. Well, the answer for precept is B, instruction from an authority think of a boss laying out specific instructions for an employee and this is the general meaning of precept in the bible okay number two let's look at the word supplication what does supplication mean it means earnest request when we pray to god to ask him for something we are offering a supplication I encourage you to see Jonathan's great video on prayer last week to learn more about prayer and supplication. Now let's go to number three, shalom. Well, you probably know that this word means peace. So you might have guessed A, but it is not A, it is C, wholeness, wellness, prosperity. When we think of peace, we tend to think in our culture of a break or a pause from fighting. But that's not what shalom means. Shalom goes much further than that. It is healthy and whole relationships with everyone and everything. God created us to live in shalom. But by going against his laws, we end up ruining it. And this is what the psalmist is getting at throughout Psalm 119. For example, from 165, Great peace, or shalom, have those who love your law. And nothing can make them stumble. Okay, the final word is hesed. What do you think hesed means? This is a tricky one. And that is because 
It means all three definitions. I tricked you there. Chesed is a Hebrew word for the love God has specifically for his people. It's actually a very difficult word to translate because it is very deep and profound. In English, the word love can be quite weak sometimes. We talk about how we love pizza or we love a TV show. That's not hesed. Hesed is permanent, covenant, faithful, unchanging, deep, unfailing love. I wish that I could love my wife and my daughter with hesed love, but I'm just unable to. I fail them from time to time. But God's love is hesed love. It is unfailing. It is kindness, mercy, compassion, and full of grace. Well, we see this word throughout the Bible and especially in Psalm 119. As we see here, consider how I love your precepts. Revive me, O Lord, according to your loving kindness, according to your hesed, to your steadfast love, your mercy, your covenant, faithful, unending love. Well, the point of growing and strengthening our vocabulary is because words have power. With a strong vocabulary, we are more convincing, more influential, and we're clearer in our expectations and understanding. Words have power to inspire people, to shape culture, to change the world. So it's important that we increase our word power. But when I encourage you to increase your word power today, I actually don't mean your vocab, although that is very important. This sermon is actually all about increasing your word of God power. Haha, that's right. I am using puns in my sermon today. God's word is powerful. Jesus lived and breathed the Old Testament and he relied heavily, heavily on it for his ministry to others and for his own personal ministry. When he taught, he taught from the scriptures. When he challenged the Jewish leaders, he pointed to the scriptures. And when he was tempted by the devil, he resisted evil with the scriptures. The New Testament writers followed in Jesus' example, and they quoted extensively from the Old Testament in their writings. They clearly understood the power of God's word. Let's look at a few verses from 2 Timothy 3, 16-17. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And Paul writes in Ephesians 6.17, he refers to the word of God as the sword of the spirit. And in Hebrews 4.12, we read, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And of course, as we've been going through Psalm 119 these past couple months, it's clear the psalmist finds strength and power in the word of God. And this continues to come out in the final 16 verses that we're going to be looking at today. And remember, every time you see these eight words, law, command, testimony, promise, statute, precept, decree, or word, the psalmist is talking about all of God's word. Not just the rules part, but also the stories, the prophecies, the poetry, all that God has revealed to us about himself and his relationships to us in the scriptures. 
So now, let's read the conclusion of Psalm 119. Rulers persecute me without cause, but my heart trembles at your word. I rejoice in your promise like one who finds great spoil. I hate and detest falsehood, but I love your law. Seven times a day I praise you for your righteous laws. Great peace have those who love your law, and nothing can make them stumble. I wait for your salvation, Lord, and I follow your commands. I obey your statutes, for I love them greatly. I obey your precepts and your statutes, for all my ways are known to you. May my cry come before you, Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. May my supplication come before you. Deliver me according to your promise. May my lips overflow with praise, for you teach me your decrees. May my tongue sing of your word, for all your commands are righteous. May your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, Lord, and your law gives me delight. Let me live that I may praise you, and may your laws sustain me. I have strayed like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I have not forgotten your commandments. Throughout this section, we see the word of God inspiring the psalmist to speak out different words. The word of God inspires words of joy, words of anguish, words of crying out, words of prayer and of praise and of singing. I rejoice in your promise like one who finds great spoil. Seven times a day I praise you for your righteous laws. May my cry come before you, Lord. May my supplication come before you. May my lips overflow with praise. May my tongue sing of your word. Throughout this psalm, the author has led us through his personal journey with God's word as his source of power and strength. He has shared his joys and his delights. He shared his frustrations and his pain. He shared his confessions and his prayers. What has your personal journey been like with God's word? If you were to write this psalm from your experience, what would it say? Well, for me, I've had a number of highs and lows with the Bible. From an early age, I was encouraged to read my Bible daily and study it and memorized it. But to be honest, I didn't read it much. It was really boring and hard to understand. However, everything changed for me when I was 13. And one night I read through the Sermon on the Mount. At that time, I thought I was a pretty good kid and I was doing the right things. But Jesus really unpacks the Ten Commandments in that sermon. And I realized that I really needed to turn my life around and devote myself more fully to following him. And from that time on, the word of God became power for me. And I began reading so much of it, just thirsty for it, devouring it. It was speaking to every area of my life and it was changing my decisions, my feelings about myself and the world around me. It was affecting me. But over time, as any teenager does, I got distracted by other things. And there was stuff in the Bible that confused me and didn't really make any sense. I would ask my youth pastor questions and sometimes we would have good discussions, but other times I, I just wasn't satisfied with his answers and just wasn't going anywhere. Well, I read books and commentaries and 
I realized the more I studied the Bible, the more confusing it got. Everyone had such wildly differing opinions about what the Bible was saying. And then in my college years, my understanding of the Bible was really shattered. Growing up, I had been taught that the Bible was a perfect book, that the Spirit had inspired these authors to write word for word what God wanted them to write. It was like the Spirit was whispering in their ear as they wrote furiously. But I discovered that's not how the Bible was put together at all. For starters, there's disagreement among Christians today and has been over thousands of years. What books even belong in the Bible? The Catholics have more books in the Old Testament than we do, for example. But even the Christians in the early days didn't agree on what books were considered God-breathed. Books like Esther, Hebrews, Jude, they were close to being cut from our Bible. And even Martin Luther considered the book of James as less than the other books in the New Testament. He was much later than those early decisions. So that just started to mess with my head about the authority of Scripture. And on top of that, I learned other things about how the Bible came together. Did you know that the Old Testament, for the longest time, for many, many years, had no vowels or spaces or punctuation between words? It was just a long string of consonants. Eventually, scholars added those things into the text. But for some of them, it was guesswork. They didn't know exactly what vowel went where, what punctuation to put in what spot. And some of these choices are still questioned and debated today. Also consider Hebrew and ancient Greek are dead languages. There are some words in the Bible that we don't actually know what they mean. There are scholars who are making wise guesses, but sometimes these guesses, they differ wildly among scholars. And did you know that we have no original manuscripts of the Bible? All we have are copies of copies of copies. And the crazy thing is, among those copies, there are many little changes and differences. Over time, copyists made little errors, or they added their own words, or they edited and compiled the words in the paragraphs and chapters in different ways. Sometimes you'd find a verse in one chapter over here, and then it's moved to another verse in a different copy of the manuscript. So, you know, we have no way of knowing for certain exactly what the original authors wrote. These facts, plus a number of others, really caused me to question the authority and truth of the Bible. How could we trust the Bible if we didn't have a perfect version sent down from heaven with no mistakes, with no revisions, no additions? I really struggled with this until I started letting go of my need for the Bible to be this perfect document. And when I started letting go, I began reading the Bible again with fresh eyes, and a renewed source of strength and power came to me. Even though the Bible has this rough history and there's minor contradictions and errors and additions in the version that we have today, it still speaks directly to my heart and soul today. And it directly speaks to the heart and soul of many people today, despite all those imperfections. I myself have experienced the power of God's word in my life, and I've seen other people experience that power as well. 
I don't love the printed words of the Bible because they are perfect, but because this is how God has chosen to reveal himself to us. And because somehow this book is powerful and it changes people's lives. I love God's word because God's word works. Well, there are many ways that God's word has power. And I'm going to list four of them for you now, which the psalmist referenced repeatedly in Psalm 119. Now, I don't usually do the cheesy pastor things in my sermons, like using puns in the title of my sermon. But since I've already done that, I'm also going to use another cheesy pastor trick, and that is alliteration. The word of God is powerful because it provides liberation, light, life, and level ground. All my points start with the letter L. All right, so let's look at those four things. Liberation. In a few select verses from Psalm 119 that I pulled out, we read this. To all perfection, I see a limit, but your commands are boundless. I will walk about in freedom, for I have sought out your precepts. Keep my steps steady by your word. Don't let any sin rule me. I will run in the path of your command, for you have set my heart free. The Bible brings us freedom from guilt, freedom from sin, freedom from anxiety, from worry, from high expectations, from condemnation, from toxic relationships. I could go on and on. The Bible brings us freedom in so many ways and facets of life. As we go through each one of these different letters, I'm going to share a little story of how I've experienced that in other people's lives and in my own life. Uh, when I was a pastor a while ago, uh, in my office, uh, somebody came in and uh, he wasn't a Christian, but he really wanted to talk with me because he had um, been involved in something and he wanted to confess. He wanted to ask me if God would forgive him for what he had done. And as he explained it to me, you could tell that he was really um, upset and um, uncertain about whether God really would forgive him for what he had done. And I told him that very clearly the Bible says it doesn't matter what you've done. God always forgives. If we, are, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So I explained to him that from the Bible and I also explained to him one of the parables where um, uh, 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 an employer had a number of employees and he paid them the same wage, even though one employee came very late in the day and he only worked like an hour. And yet the employer paid him a full day's wage and all the other um, employees were frustrated. This isn't fair. How come you're paying him a full wage? And the employer said, it's my money. I can do what I want with it. And basically what that parable is telling us is that God is lavishly generous with his gifts, with his forgiveness and with his love. It doesn't matter what you've done, when you've come in to see him, he was there to offer forgiveness. And I've heard that story so many times before, and I've told that story a number of times before in sermons and in other places. But this is the first time that I've actually seen someone respond to it in a visceral way. The, the guy was like really taken aback. Like what? He would pay the full wage for only a short amount of work? That's the story Jesus told? That's the amount of forgiveness he's willing to give me. 
And we prayed together and I prayed for him and, and offered him that forgiveness that Jesus has for all of us. That is liberation. That is freedom from guilt and sin. And that comes through God's word. The other thing that God's word provides, we see in Psalm 119, is light. Verse 105, your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. Verse 130, the unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. Teach me knowledge and good judgment, for I trust your commandments. Your commands are always with me and make me wiser than my enemies. The word of God provides us with direction in life. It provides us with purpose, with clarity, with inspiration and encouragement and wisdom. Um, Being a youth pastor, I've taught a lot of Sunday school uh, to kids and youth of all ages. And uh, without fail, a lot of kids and youth do not care about the Bible. It is boring, as I said earlier. They don't get it. They don't care about it. And as exciting as I can make it with stories and games and actions and all kinds of things, some youth just don't care one bit about the Bible. They just don't get into it and they don't love it at all. And it bores them. And uh, I've seen a number of times when um, later in life, somehow the word of God reveals something to these individuals. And there's one guy in particular. Um, he, I remember he we, we were in the same Bible school together and uh, I would see him falling asleep in class all the time. He just didn't, I don't know why he was there. He just kept falling asleep. But then somewhere a couple years after that time, God really started to open up his heart to the scriptures in a new and powerful way. And he was wrestling with uh, what direction he was going to take in his life. Was he going to follow in his family's footsteps and go into their business? Or was he going to go into missions and not make very much money and not fulfill um, the plans that others maybe had planned for him or that maybe even he himself wanted for himself? And he was really wrestling with this. And he went to the Bible to find out where God was leading him. And it was very clear to him after uh, reading through the scriptures and, and talking and praying with others that God was leading him to go in the direction of missions, which isn't for everybody, but in this case, that is definitely where God was leading him. And it wasn't an easy decision, but God's word gave him clarity and direction and purpose. And uh, I've seen him later in life and he devours the scripture in a way that he never did before when I knew him when he was younger. So that was just incredible to see. The next um, next way that the God's word is powerful is it gives life. Here are some more verses from Psalm 119. I will never forget your precepts because through them you gave me life again. This is my comfort in my affliction that your promise gives me life. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Consider how I love your precepts. Give me life according to your steadfast love, according to your chesed. (laughs) I like saying that for some reason. I don't know why. Well, the Bible brings joy. It brings delight. It brings wonder, awe, life to its fullest, energy, enthusiasm. As I was saying earlier, a lot of my youth uh, that I've seen just don't care about the Bible. um, And you would think they never would care about the Bible. 
Um, but I've seen so many of them as they've gotten older and gone through different experiences. God's opened their eyes to see new things through the scriptures. And there's one guy in particular who I remember um, when he was 13 and 14 in Sunday school. Uh, he was another one of those guys who would kind of fall asleep, not really answer any of the questions, not pay attention, not even try. And I'd try to get him to like say something, just like even disagree with me or fight with me, just say something. But he just wasn't having any of it. And uh, all through high school, nothing really um, connected with him, with me and the church. And he stopped coming to church. I didn't see him much. Uh, but when he graduated, I gave him a book, which I gave to all of our grads. I would often give a book as a present and um, just left a card for him, prayed for him, and uh, didn't think anything of it. But he came back to me a, a year or two later, uh, maybe it was a few years later, I can't remember. And he said to me that that book helped him to see the scriptures in a new way and to understand God in a new way. And it lit a fire inside of him. It gave him life that I had not seen before. Before I saw a guy who just wasn't going anywhere with his faith, that didn't want anything to do with faith. And now he's telling all of his friends about Jesus. He's putting everything that he's reading into practice from the Bible. He's taking this all very, very seriously. And it's changing him and bringing him life and joy and delight and wonder and awe. And it's just incredible to see how all of my tricks and shenanigans did nothing for him. It was the spirit at work through the word of God that brought him this newness of life. And finally, the fourth thing is level ground. The word of God sets us on a sure foundation. Let's read these passages from Psalm 119. You are my refuge and my shield. I have put my hope in your word. Your word, Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Uphold me and I will be delivered. I will always have regard for your decrees. Great peace have those who love your law and nothing can make them stumble. The word of God brings us courage. It brings us strength. It brings us stability in times of chaos. It brings us hope in times of uncertainty. It gives us perseverance when we just can't keep going. Uh, for me, the scriptures have spoken to me many times about all four of these things. But just recently, as we've been going through Psalm 119, God spoke to me through uh, um, one of Jonathan's sermons that he was preaching on. And he spoke to me as I was preparing one of my own sermons. And he really spoke to me as, as I've been working through my feelings and my actions through this pandemic. And this pandemic's been um, getting tough on me because um, I haven't been working consistently. I've been working small, odd jobs here and there. And I often feel like I'm not really doing much, not really accomplishing much in the world um, or around the community. And um, I just started to feel like I got to get out there and make this happen and do things and just go, go, go. Um, but it just wasn't really like working out. And... As I was reading through Psalm 119 and other passages and listening to Jonathan and other reading through other books, I really felt the Spirit speaking to me through the Word of God telling me, Dan, just wait. Just wait. Wait on me. Wait for me to act. Wait for me to carry you through this. 
There have been times in my life definitely when God said, go, 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 go. I want you to go now and do this, do this, do this. But in this season, I really feel like God is telling me through the word, wait. Stand on level ground. Be patient, persevere, and hope that I will carry you through this. That I will bring you work. That I will provide for you and your family. That I will take you through this. And that you will come out better on the other side. And other people will be blessed through you waiting in this season. And that's hard for me to grasp. How are other people blessed when I wait on God? And it's because I decided to take up more volunteer roles during this time. Uh, Things that aren't paying very much. And I've been blessed by these things. And I've been able to bless others through them as well. And... I'm really starting to enjoy my times with my family. Whereas before, I think I was just like, okay, let's just get this over with. Let's let's go, let's go, let's go. Now I'm starting to realize, let's just take this time, this, this moment that we have here, just be living in the present and invest in my family, invest in my wife, invest in my daughter, and make the most of my time together because it's this is a gift. This is not a normal thing that we get in our world. We're so busy with work and other things now I can really focus on uh, my, my wife and my daughter. And I can focus on other things as well. So the word of God has been speaking to me recently. And as I have allowed that to sink into my life, I have been able to rest and to not be as stressed and to find courage and strength and stability through the word of God. Well, the purpose of this sermon today is not to guilt you into reading the Bible more or to join a Bible study or memorize more scripture. Although those things are really great, you really could read your Bible more, you really could join a small group, memorize scripture, those are all awesome things. But the point that I'm trying to make today is that we ourselves can't increase our word power. God is the one who uses his word to increase our power. God revealed himself to us and gave us his scriptures to increase our word power. God wants to liberate you from whatever is holding you back. God wants to light your path, teaching you and directing your way. God wants to raise you from the dead and give you new life, new energy, vitality, and joy. God wants to set you on level ground, giving you courage, strength, support, patience, and endurance. And God does this through his revealed word. I've been praising the scriptures a lot through this video, but I don't worship just a book. I worship the God who breathed this book, who inspired these words, and who uses it to save and change us. I don't worship the printed words, but I do worship the word of God as described in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only Son who is at the Father's side. He has made him known.
The word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. And in the New Testament, we read that Christ now makes his home within us and dwells inside us. We have the word of God, Jesus Christ, in our hearts and our souls, freeing us, guiding us, forgiving us, reviving us, sustaining us, increasing our power. And this is good news for us and for our world. As we go from here, please receive this blessing from the final section of Psalm 119. May your supplication go before the Lord, that he might liberate you according to his promise. May your cry go before the Lord, that he might give you light from his word. May God's word give you new life and sustain you. May the hand of Christ keep you on level ground as you walk in his way. May your lips overflow with praise, and may your tongue sing of God's word. Amen. Well, it's been a pleasure uh, preaching to you today. Um, we're going to have uh, discussion and reflection and worship again this Sunday over Zoom. So I encourage you to, uh, to join us all there. Here are some of the reflection questions that we may be discussing, but I want you to consider these beforehand if you have time. I would really love to hear from you guys and for you to just wrestle through this a bit. What has been your experience with the Bible? I shared a bit of my story. I would love to hear a little bit of yours. What has the Bible meant for you um, throughout your life? What are the ups and downs have been for you with the Bible? And number two, what struggles do you have with the Bible? We all have uh, things about the Bible that don't make sense to us, that confuse us. For me, when I was a kid, the thing that that I struggled with the most was the passage in scripture that said that women should pray with their head covered, but men needed to pray with their head uncovered. But we never practiced that in our church. Why not? What happened? Why don't we follow that part of the Bible? We follow other parts of the Bible. That's a question I'd always ask my youth pastors. They hated that question. No one liked talking to me about it. <laughs> but what are some of the things that you struggle with as you read through the Bible? What There's probably much more difficult things than whether you should have your head covered or not. What are the things you struggle with? Number three, what verses or sections of the Bible have brought you liberation, light, life, or level ground? Love to hear how God has spoken to you, changed you, inspired you, worked through you, through his word. All right, that's the questions for uh, this weekend. Blessings upon you, and we will see you on Sunday. Bless you.